0: Welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's Queer Medium. My name is Luke Smith. No, it isn't.
1: And I'm Sebastian.
0: And coming up later today, we have an interview with uh, Kevin, the owner-operator of Stroked Ego, a uh, small business operating in the gay village in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. We then discuss, uh, really, the state and the health of small businesses, especially those in villages Um, you know, in the post-pandemic world. And then we are also joined by the great folks over at Chroma, New Brunswick, a service centre serving LGBT folks, uh, a service organisation serving LGBT folks across the province, um, as we talk about their efforts to create temporary spaces to support Mm -hmm. the gay community. So, busy day talking about queer spaces uh, in and out of villages later on in the show. However... Yes. We have uh, some other top news before now. Uh, sorry, before then, um, we are keeping an eye on. Uh, well, first of all, good news. Very quick, good news story. Mm-hmm. The Toronto Gay Hockey Association has just celebrated 30 years of inclusivity. They've been going for 30 years.
1: I, you know, in all the the years of us reporting uh, gay sports in Canada, we we I don't think we've mentioned this one before, have we?
0: The gay hockeys? Yeah. Oh no, we did last week, didn't we? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, we are keeping an eye on a whole bunch of stories, but I wanna jump to a couple just off the bat, um, mm-hmm. that we are keeping an eye on. One is over a thousand people in Ireland mm-hmm. have emailed their official broadcaster, and their emails are regarding a boycott. Okay. And now what, what do you think a 1,000 Irishmen would be boycotting on television?
1: Ooh, God. No, uh, I have no idea. Uh, on, on TV? They don't want something on TV. I don't know. I don't know. Ireland Ireland's a bit of a wild card because in the 90s they had the troubles and they were super conservative. And then in the 2000s they became known as being one of the most progressive countries in Western Europe. Which is saying a lot. So it's kind of hard to predict. They're a bit of a wild card. Ireland is an interesting place. It's a bit of a wild card. I don't know. Let me get. I I, I give up on
0: guessing. What What's the answer? The answer is Eurovision. Oh, what? Yes, like they're the um, they're the second most winningest the, uh... country. Like Sweden
1: is the winningest country in the history of Eurovision, followed by Ireland and Luxembourg. But a lot, a lot of the Luxembourg wins were at the, the 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 early years. But yeah, no, that's weird.
0: That's super so, weird. As you know, um, last year, after, well, uh, last year or the year before, after Russia uh, legally invaded the Ukraine, uh, mm-hmm. they were effectively banned from participating in Eurovision. Right. And with over 30,000 dead following, uh, obviously, the horrific attacks on Israel and then the truly horrific counterattacks by Israel, uh, with 30,000 dead in Palestine. Uh, there is a significant boycott movement to get Eurovision to uh, expel essentially y- Israel from performing in this year's Eurovision. So the e- the Eurovision has been political in the past. Um, it'll oh, be yes. really interesting to see where this particular subject lands.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. in 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 a way it's uh because the olympics can also get pretty political but for some reason eurovision has i don't want to say better but different kinds of follow-through that uh, is a little bit interesting you're less likely to see something like this actually bubble all the way to the top to actual executive level decisions when it comes to the olympics because one of the one of the key factors the olympics is they want to keep a lot of the the interstate politics out of it and make it just a place for sports but eurovision doesn't have that that beef. Mm-hmm. They're, they're willing to do that. So, yeah, it is kind of
0: interesting to see how this will play out. Now, sticking to Europe for a moment, a lot of countries in the EU, European Union, are facing significant pressure to harmonize their laws regarding um, particularly equal rights mm-hmm. and equal rights for LGBT folks. Now, the Czech Republic has done a sort of a, a two steps forward, one step back maneuver. Uh, you've been looking into this. So what what have uh, what have the Czechs been doing except for hunting, obviously?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, basically, there's a bill that passed uh, by a pretty wide majority, almost uh, almost three to one, uh, basically allowing uh, same sex partnerships to be recognized at the federal level. They're not calling them marriages. And they have some, but not all rights. So there's some adoption. Like if you have a biological child, then your partner can adopt your child, but a same-sex partner, partner, a couple cannot co-adopt a new child. Um, The visitation rights are pretty limited. Inheritance rights are pretty limited. Co-ownership rights of property is non-existent. So it's this kind of, from what I've been able to see, because they haven't really gone into detail about what is there. Uh, what I've been able to find is mostly what's not there. I think it's basically that you can file a joint couple tax return and get the benefits of being a couple. But otherwise, I think you're, they're kind of missing out on quite a few things. But the 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 feds are recognizing same-sex partnerships. And the general attitude there is, it's something it's better than nothing and this is a weird why would you go halfway on this and it does seem to be that the general tone there among uh Czech politicians is that it will grow into something more in the near future whether it will be full marriage or not it's in the air eastern europe is generally a um uh, they don't distinguish between state and religion quite as much as western europe so they may not they they may go full partnership but not call it marriage who knows what the future will hold but they do have this This step right now. And there is that, you know, it is two steps forward, one step back, but they're saying, well, we're moving forward for once. So this is good. That's the general
0: attitude of the. I want to also add that uh, you mentioned the uh, adoption. Now, it's worth noting, of course, uh, people can't, a a same sex couple can't just adopt a child Mm -hmm. in the Czech Republic uh, unless that child is the biological child of one of the couple. Now, the other person in the couple uh, this is where it gets a bit tricky the parent of the child has to have sole um, parental rights oh. over that child and then once that uh, that um, that person is the sole parent of the child then their same sex partner can apply to co-adopt that child uh, but unless in in any other scenario, same-sex couples cannot co-adopt unless one of them is the sole parental authority over that child. So hey. it's not fantastic, but it is better than it was last week. So that's that's slightly encouraging. Um, We've been following a lot of international news, obviously the the death in the US that we've been looking at. But also we have been looking at the recent murder of J.C. Beard and Luke Davis. Um, now, I mean, TV personality in Australia, um, TV presenters are very, very well known um, mm-hmm. at the time. And this is a double murder that has really shaken the gay community in uh, Sydney. In fact, the bodies were only just recently discovered, uh, only in the last couple of days. It's worth noting that the uh, alleged murderer of Jesse Beard and Luke Davis uh, handed himself in almost immediately Mm -hmm. and was a police officer uh, with the New South Wales Police. Now, the Sydney Mardi Gras, which is happening right now, of course, for folks who are hearing this in the Northern Hemisphere, we do sometimes forget that the Southern Hemisphere has all of that wonderful summertime madness uh, right in the middle of February and March. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sydney Mardi Gras is about to happen. And in the, in, you know, it's worth noting that when Sydney Mardi Gras made this decision, the bodies were still missing. Right. it was murdered by a cop. The bodies were missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had made no effort, not the cops, the, the, the guy that, I'm not going to say his name, but the guy who had been uh, essentially um, uh, turned himself in mm-hmm. was uh, allegedly not helping with finding the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and the city Mardi Gras issued a statement uh, essentially saying that it would be inappropriate at this very sensitive time to have uniformed police marching in the parade. Uh, it's worth noting, as I said, the yeah. alleged murderer here was a police officer. But he uh, wasn't in uniform. He was the ex-partner of one of the
1: the victims. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's this foggy area where it's not the institution of the police, but the police didn't really step up as much as they they probably should have. And, like, I don't think we should blame the institution because one of them was just a psycho, but... um but it's also it's not just what happened but it's the response did the the sydney police respond to the situation in a manner that
0: showed dignity to the community and i think that's that's the big the well, big there was a discussion. The Australian Federal Police uh, had initially indicated that they will respect the wishes of the Mardi Gras and will not be attending. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some conversations with New South Wales Police, it's worth noting that they have been marching in this parade for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like Sydney Mardi Gras and the New South Wales Police have reached a bit of an agreement. And the New South Wales Police, of whom many do identify as gay, bisexual, and lesbian, etc., will now be able to march in plain clothes. So they seem to have uh, split the difference, as it were, uh, in inviting them to march. Now, Australia has been dogged by accusations of homophobia and systemic homophobia against their police services, especially in light of the serial killer a couple of years ago where -hmm. there was systemic failures in policing. Um, Yeah, lots going on. Now, we are going to be jumping to our first track of the day, and that is going to be... um, It's going to be Hunting Buffalo by Noreen Braun. We will be joining uh, Kevin just after this.
2: Misty mornings when we ride in the gorge, sleeping. See, Liz, we're praying with our breath held silent on the brain, follow tracks from rolling plains, spiky grass and wild furry manes scout shuts up. There below Soon the crunching sound Of hunting buffalo the Loaded guns And arrows pointing Cards encircled camps anointed. Shots ring out And startle. men Ambidverse, a thunderous frenzy. Bulls bellow on trumpets dead. Ripped on sharp horn, thrashing, jerking hands. Garden you whirls of dust. chant and force a final thrust was an old men's cots are squeezing Cram with need and hunger Burrs and winter freezing Now these are the days of old When we were Days of old. We're forever hunting buffalo. We gave action days of old. We're forever. For
0: Welcome to Cambria Home of Canada's Korean Media. Or welcome back, I should say. Uh still with me, uh, as always, all these years later is the incredible Sebastian. That's me. Th- that is you. And I did that. Uh, we are we are joined by a friend of ours, longtime friend of ours, and a local business owner, which is really the gist of today's conversation as mentioned. Mm-hmm the top of the hour uh Kevin the uh, owner operator of um, I don't know why i clapped there it's terrible to sound um the owner operator of stroked ego and uh, men's uh men'swear and uh um I mean I believe you cater to more than just men uh store in Ottawa thank you Kevin so much for joining us hey Luke hey Sub, thanks for having me nice to see you guys mm-hmm. excellent now for those who maybe aren't familiar um about your store do you want to give them a bit of a bit of a brief and then we'll uh we'll dive into the topic.
3: Sure. Well, you nailed it pretty good. We are uh, a men's fashion or uh, men, male identifying fashion store mainly. Uh, we're pretty much known for our, you know, funky accessories like socks. And we have a little bit of underwear. And uh, we also do skincare and shaving. And we literally just opened up about six months ago an event space.
0: Hmm. Excellent. We'll be diving into that uh, event space uh, a little later. Um, I know that you folks, um, you're available online strokedego.ca as well. We're not sponsored, but uh, I know that uh, <laughs> I know whenever you mentioned things that are sort of ad sounding, they're like, "Oh, is this a secret?" Logo? No, no, there uh-huh. was no uh, no socks slid under the table. But rather, <laughs> I think when we saw a post from you, really speaking to how Um, traffic just hasn't returned to those pre-pandemic levels Mm -hmm. and you know the queer community the community at large I think wants to support more local businesses especially local gay-owned and operated businesses so what's the what's the picture been looking like for you
3: um, since the pandemic? Yeah that uh, that post I tell you guys uh, there are days when you're feeling really good about things and then there are days when you're feeling a little down and It was one of those days I think I kind of lost my control and put the post up there. Um, It's been a little tough, to be quite honest with you. Uh, Obviously, the pandemic shut us down for a little bit. Uh, Thankfully, though, during the pandemic, we were doing a lot of uh, online orders. And I mean, you guys are familiar with the store, but for those who aren't, we're on the second floor and... There's a little landing on top of the stairs, and then it's separated by a glass wall and doors to get into the store. So people were great. They would be placing online orders. We'd prepare them, and then we'd literally just set them on the outside on the landing, and people would come up. Obviously, not even close to what we were making before the pandemic, but you know, it was enough to pay the operations at least. Uh, and then, of course, that kind of opened up a little bit, and then we were hit with the double whammy of the protest with the uh, with the trucker convoy. And that shut us down for about five weeks um, and a little bit afterwards and, you know, maybe even a little bit before because of the, the news creating a little bit of a hype about it. Um, and with that, unfortunately, that killed us. Uh, at least we were making a little bit of money through online orders and pickups in the store. But when that was going on, nobody wanted to come downtown. So we uh, literally were, you know, running on fumes for that. And uh, during the time you know you eat up your you eat up your reserves and you unfortunately have to uh, put things on credit which you don't necessarily want to do. Uh, and you know we're still trying to claw our way back to uh, get things pretty much caught up and back to where they were pre-pandemic.
0: I know that um, it, it's it's evident that you are certainly feeling the the pinch of the moment and i suppose my question is i know personally the idea of um you know buying any wardrobe uh in today's climate and the economy where it's at is just not possible are you seeing discretionary spending or clothing spending from your customers going down are are, are your clients just not
3: spending as much or coming as often um you know what I think it's more about our average sale is still quite high. It's just the number of uh, people walking through the door is what's being affected. So it's more about our walking count as opposed to our actual sales. So when people are coming in, they're seeing what they want and they're picking it up, and you know they're they're happy with their purchases. But if we can't get them into the store, then obviously you know you can't you know entice them with anything, or they won't be able to find something that they fall in love with. So. It's more about walk-ins for us, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think the, the shift to the government in specific, because you're, you're very close to a lot of the government buildings, uh, not the big ones in Gatineau, but still a lot of the government buildings sort of surround you. And there was sort of a, a, a shift to remote and hybrid work. So there's just fewer people downtown <laughs> overall. Do you, do you see that as being a factor?
3: Oh, absolutely. So again, for those not familiar, we're about four blocks from Parliament Hill right Mm -hmm. on Bank Street. So surrounding us are a lot of the office towers, which, you know, have been in the news lately because it looks like the government's trying to offload some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the government still isn't back. You know, you hear word that it's being mandated that they work uh, two or three days a week. Um, That's not correct. It's pretty much up to every individual manager. And I know quite a few people um, that don't even work in the office at all. Like they're working remotely 100% of the time. So, you know, that's really affected us. Thankfully, our weekends have still been good uh, because we're a destination store for a lot of our, you know, very supportive clientele, which we definitely appreciate. But, you know, some Monday and Tuesdays, especially, you can shoot a cannon down Bank Street and not hit anything.
0: I think it's worth noting for our listeners that your location uh, is really in the middle of the historic gay village of Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I know a lot of gay villages have really struggled with, which is kind of, you know, really, it's that foot traffic that you mentioned. We're just not getting as much community happening in these places as we used to. And I just want to draw a line here with what you mentioned, the federal government, one of the challenges that Ottawa, more than maybe other cities like Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver, sort of suffers from is it's a bedroom uh, community. Oh, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the civil servants, they're the second largest employer in in the in the city, um, live in the suburbs, commute in for work. In theory, now they're all working remotely and then leave again. So. Uh, you know, how how is the village doing in all this? You know, when you look down the street at your uh, fellow fellow village stores, you know, is is it a, a similar picture down the street?
3: Well, looking down the street in the village or not, there's a lot of vacancies, first of all. You know, mainly suffering were the restaurants, but a lot of pretty well-known stores that have been around for quite a while have either relocated or closed. I checked about, I don't know, not too long ago, I walked my block, and we're sitting at about a 40% vacancy in our block alone. As for the village, honestly, Luke, other than, you know, maybe the pub on Somerset Tees, who else is there that's queer-owned anymore? Like, Mm -hmm. Venus Envy is gone, they suffered the fire, and with COVID, they just decided to work out of their warehouse, so they're not actually in the village anymore. Wicked Wanda's is still there, I mean, it's not queer-owned or operated, but they're definitely, you know, allies, so I would consider them one. But other than those two businesses, like, I can't honestly think of any other ones that are still really flourishing.
0: I think you're on to something. Yeah. I know that in those big urban centers, Montreal, Vancouver, you know, the Davie Village, uh, Church Street, uh, St. um, they face also the predicament of really high rental rates. Uh, in those areas. Now, Ottawa, likewise, had pretty skyrocket uh, high rental rates for retail spaces, uh, especially ground floor, you know, street level, where, you know, we're seeing the the office crisis really kind of impacting, and you said the government's offloading some of its buildings, but in terms of, you know, maybe a, a queer person starting a new business, is even getting a space on the street financially feasible? Like, is that something that that new entrepreneurs could even potentially afford?
3: I personally can say that my landlords have been absolutely spectacular with me. They've been very supportive and, you know, I totally appreciate them. Um, I guess all I can say is if I were given the opportunity today to start a business in this location on the ground floor, would I do it? And my answer would be 100% no it's too much of a risk right
1: now. I think to a certain degree there, there has been talks that there's just been a shift in how, like on a fundamental level, how society is functioning. So like if you look at photos of the bank Street region back in the 60s, a lot of those storefronts used to be places like barbers, green grocers, bakeries. It was more storefronts for the people who lived in the area to walk into and just get their, their basic needs met. And then as the area got built up with, banks and government buildings, offices, corporations, that kind of the, the government, uh, the, there's, there's a few remote offices for the universities in the downtown core. Um, a lot of those storefronts started catering to the commuters and they started doing things like taco stands and and just places you could pop into quickly for lunch. And the idea of it being a living neighborhood kind of faded in the background and it was more like, like a service neighborhood to the suburbs. Um, and I have seen people sort of speculate, I mean, we're talking about the future now, so you never know, but there has been speculation that a lot of these spaces may eventually return back to being neighborhood spaces against for locals. But unfortunately that could create issues because getting from here to there, like this, this would work out for you better in the long run if it did turn into a neighborhood space and not just a, a pop-in space for commuters, but you would need to weather the societal shift that might take like five to 20 years for that to actually happen. Um, and I, I, I don't know, I, I question whether or not, like, do you even think that there is a space for something like a gay neighborhood? If places like that are, are predominantly local again, and the rents are just too high because it used to be that, you know, neighborhoods or, or villages would pop up or the rents were low and, and people who were typically low income would, would pool together.
3: I think you put nail on the head with a couple of points there, Seb. Uh, one thing I would say is what really frustrates me is when they talk about having a vacancy tax on residential areas mm. uh, to force people to rent it out, lower the rent, whatever the, you know, what they need to do to put people in there. Otherwise, there's a penalty if it's vacant for so long. They don't do that with commercial. And mm. people can absolutely stay vacant for as long as they want.
4: Yeah. They don't
3: need to lower their rents. And a lot of the time, I mean, I'm not an accountant, so, you know, I could get fact checked here, but from my understanding, a lot of the time they can use their vacancies and write off the expenses. To me, that's one of the issues right there. They're not in- incentivized to lower their rent to allow people to come in. Right. Um, on the other hand, the, you know, the smaller mom and pop people that may own a building mm-hmm. or two, and they're not the big corporations uh, like the city has, they need to just get it rented because they have bills to pay, so they're not super selective of what they allow to rent their place. So, I mean, if you walk the street, you're going to notice a lot of, you know, maybe not family-friendly stores, maybe, uh, you know, one too many barbershops. There's not a good mix of things to draw people down. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a bit of a concern as well. And finally, to the point about whether or not there's an area for, you know, a gay village, um, I think that one is kind of a double-edged sword uh, because a lot of the time uh, queer folks are more or less welcome anywhere now. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's not a need to have uh, as much of a safe space where people can walk down the street in a, you know, a dedicated village and hold hands with their partner, for example. Uh, People don't necessarily, you know, see it as much of a problem as they did maybe 40 years ago. Uh, in other areas. So they would come to the gay village to be a little bit more accepted and not have to face, you know, any sort of discrimination in non-gay areas.
0: I think you, you've hit a good point there, Kevin. When we look at 40 years ago to, to now, for example, uh, we are, we've reached out to Stats Canada and a few others. We're going to do a bit of a dive into uh, hate crimes and the trends that are happening with hate crimes uh, in Canada. So we'll dive into that in a later week. But I think the idea of where queer folks gather, where they live, where they patron businesses, that has significantly changed in the last couple of decades, you know. It used to be that for a long time that the majority, the actual majority of gay folks lived in major urban centres because the rural and small towns were not as accepting. It was a more hostile place. So queer folks migrated, or the big cities either depending on what what year you're talking about exactly yep yeah. so there's there's this queer migration mm. to to urban centers and very often to tight knit communities that's where the villages were born mm-hmm. but maybe acceptance has been the slow death bell of um of that but the point i want to kind of pivot towards you is something that queer folks have been talking about for a long time and that is our sense of community. Mm-hmm. Now we know that there is a loneliness crisis in the gay community. We know that um you know that it's suicidality as a result of loneliness is is significantly higher in queer folks and it's that lack of community and connection that I think is a key part of that. Now Kevin you've you've been really instrumental In the Ottawa gay community, at least, in trying to address that crisis in community, most recently with the ego space.
3: Yeah, I mean, I've always found it to be important to be accepted by somebody, at least, uh, have someone to talk to, have someone to hang out with. It's, you know, humans are social creatures and everyone needs someone in their lives. And like you, you know, you just mentioned, it's a little more prevalent in the gay community to face loneliness, especially after, you know, or during the COVID, Uh, you know, I remember thinking to myself when we were talking about having people form all of these different circles of, you know, family and friends and such, um, you know, someone who is a gay single man with no kids or, you know, no local family, it was, it was pretty tough to be Mm -hmm. kind of not involved in anyone else's circle, so to speak. I really thought it was one of the opportunities when the the third floor above the store actually came open is I really thought it would be a cool space to form a community area for, you know, different events to be held um, that would bring people together. And I'm not talking about, you know, the drag shows or the dance clubs or whatever, but, you know, maybe to host a games night or maybe just to have a movie night or Just things where people can come and you know have a sense of community and socialize a little bit and you know maybe not have anything alcoholic but you know movie night with popcorn and your choice of pop and just watch a movie for a few hours i mean something to look forward to and something to enjoy and hopefully make it a regular thing
1: as it happens the probably the best pride event i've ever been to uh was in that space under a a different umbrella but still it was a, a, a a curated exhibit on the history of queer individuals in the video game industry. Uh, People from Stroke Ego were involved in that as well. But it was like 10 years ago or something. So I don't know. It's memory is 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 weird that way. But yeah, there is that that need for third spaces. And I've heard there have been a lot of complaints that a lot of the online spaces for queer individuals are either far, far too sexual, like sexual to the point that even people who are looking for sex go, "Ooh, that's a bit much. And then or far far too political where even people who are looking to get involved politically go there and they go "Ooh, that's a bit much so there is sort of this this gap in the middle um a lot of the sports clubs in ottawa have been definitely feeling that so the 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 swimmers and the the runners and the rugby like they they're very very neutral and they try to stay away from those two extremes but I mean, if you're not athletic or if you want to go do something else, there is a lack of those third spaces to go and just, I don't know, play bridge or, or do who knows what, like there, there is that lack of, of spaces where people can just go and not be, let's say goal oriented, whether it's sex or politics, uh, whatever your goals are to just go and hang out. Like there is a lack of that. And some of that is driven by the sort of the death of the gay bar, which was also goal-oriented in its own tragic way. Um, But it is good to see spaces like this being experimented with. How, Generally speaking, how would you say have they been so far in terms of like, would you say that it's been a success or is it like burgeoning?
3: It's burgeoning for sure. Uh, The best event, honestly, that I have witnessed or have been a part of some was uh, the Rainbow Refuge. I'm sure you've heard of mm-hmm. it before. The uh, the charity that helps you know discriminated folks come to Canada from places where they're not so safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, just before Pride last year, they wanted to do something fun for you know newly arrived Canadians that came from this with this charity organization, mm-hmm. but they felt that being involved in Pride. Uh, as a whole might be a little bit overwhelming for them since it's something that they have never really experienced. And as you said, you know, the bars can be a little bit intense. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they rented the space and they had like a little, I don't know, quasi cocktail party with a little bit of dance music happening. And there was about, I think about 80 or 90 people here. And in to see, space? yeah, in that space. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: Okay. Standing only. Um,
3: the expressions on the faces of the people that were there Was just so rewarding to me, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, to see them enjoying themselves and being themselves authentically Mm -hmm. and not having to worry about, you know, what people were potentially thinking or saying or planning on doing or whatever, like they may have been used to. It was just, it was phenomenal. And that really, really made me decide that that was a good decision of me to make. Mm -hmm. Um, there's been a couple of other opportunities for a couple of the local groups that have had clubhouse nights here and as I said it's burgeoning we're still trying to get it's only been six months so we're still trying to get the word out there and really market the place Mm -hmm. Um, it is filling up pride season obviously we want to really focus in on that as well
0: for folks listening in communities all over the place you know now is a pretty tough time for Small businesses uh, across the board, mm-hmm. you know everything from inflationary pressures. I'm I'm sure you've seen your your um, purchase prices go up, um, you know during the during the pandemic as well as well as shipping and and just across the board everything is is, is pricier. How much of this do you think is the normal
1: swing of small business though? Because like I grew up in a small business family, uh, where both my parents and I had a couple uncles who had a small business, and it's pretty normal, like we would go a month where it was all lobster and steak. And then the next month it was all spam and utility chicken. And like the, the, the swing between lamb and spam is sort of the, the normal part of doing a small business, unfortunately. And how much do you think is this just like wave after wave of, of just bad luck piling up? And how much do you think of this as just like a systemic issue?
3: I agree with you. It's definitely, you know, fame for, you know, fame or fortune to, you know, I can't even remember the saying, but you know, there are times of the year where you have famine and, mm-hmm. but you know that's coming and you have the opportunity to build up the reserves. So during those quieter times, you have the, you know, the the funds and the the resources set aside from when you were busy for your Christmas season or your, you know, your pride season or whatever. So that's something that you can you know you can deal with, but it's just it's just one thing after another. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, having to use the lines of credit and credit cards and stuff to um, weather the storm of the, the convoy and the pandemic, and with the interest rates rising, of course, it's just it's not that we're not making money because we are making money, but we just can't seem to get ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't seem to get that one thing paid off to move over to the other thing. And I mean, obviously, as you run a store, you still need to bring in stock and you still have to, you know, pay your bills. And, you know, there's those set things that have to be done all the time, but then the more of the chunk of the stuff that's left over after you do all that is being now diverted to pay off interest or to try to, you know, work your way down to pay off an outstanding credit card, for example. So like I said, it's not that we're not making money and we, obviously increasing our sales over what was happening before, but it's just sometimes it just doesn't seem to be happening fast enough. It just seems like everything is just done with one broad stroke and it's supposed to fix everybody's problem or, you know, at the same time. And it's just, I don't know. I, I'm not sure whether you can tell my frustration in my voice, but I don't I think even <laughs> know. Really, of- <laughs> <it's, it's laughs>
0: I think it's worth noting that, um, you know, Queer villages and businesses such as yourselves have been the the glue that holds our gathering places together. And as these villages fall apart, um, I don't know what the future of Canada's queer community will look like, um, but it's going to be a less colorful one, That's that's for sure. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Kevin, we have run out of time. Uh, we'll be back do talking about uh, some of the other big news of the week next week. Uh, sorry, just, just after
5: Started like a hum. Heard it when you were young. Sounded like thunder on the horizon. What could you do? You knew what you wanted and it wanted you. It's time. The fever's here and rising. Run wild and finally be free Watch the world around you unravel Take a leap of faith, you only move forward Once the toll's been paid It's time to mark the path you'll travel
0: Welcome back to Cancoy, your home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. Uh, Sebastian is not here with us for this conversation. But earlier in the show, we had a great chat with uh, uh, Kevin Martin at Stroke Deco about small local businesses in Ottawa. And one of the interesting things that he was doing with the uh, the ego space, which is a non-alcoholic space in the downtown of the city, really great, inventive use. Now I am very excited. We have a great, our great next guest is from Chroma, which is uh, an organization in the uh, city of Saint John, New Brunswick. Um, And uh, Maria, darling, thank you so much for joining me. We're excited to have you here.
6: Oh my gosh! Thank you for having me. I'm excited now the the connection
0: between these two conversations is pretty serendipitous but we found your conference presentation topic i believe it's coming up soon i don't know if you've given it yet at the fear to canada pride conference yeah
6: it's going to be a week from this friday are you, days away. Are
0: you uh, i don't want to put pressure on you but are you are you anxious are you looking forward to it
6: I like to consider myself the healthy amount of anxious that gives me the energy to get up in front of a room full of people, but really excited to really focus on this topic because it's something, especially for us at Chroma, we've been using as like a tool in what we do, but never really kind of focused on the strategy itself. So it's been nice to unpack that a bit. So uh, some of our listeners are definitely
0: in St. John New Brunswick with uh, CFMHFM. um, And then we have others in the rest of the province with uh, Fredericton. And of course, we have listeners all over the country. But for those who are unfamiliar with Cromer, why didn't you let folks know what it is that you do in the in the city?
6: Absolutely. Um, And as a proud UNBSJ grad, like huge shout out there. But Chroma New Brunswick is a a local 2SLGBTQIA plus organization based out of the greater St. John area. Uh, We advocate, we collaborate and we educate with and for the the queer and trans plus community. Um, So it looks different ways. And depending on the different programming we do, we do outreach events intergenerationally to give folks a chance to, to really connect and build that community. And access resources to running our high school lunch club, to, to doing uh, what I do mainly in my job, which is more education uh, around allyship and inclusion.
0: Topic that you're presenting to Fierté Canada Pride for our listeners unfamiliar. Uh, there are over a hundred pride organizations in Canada. We have I think we have one of the highest concentrations of pride organizations uh, of any country, which is fantastic. Fiat Canada Pride is the annual conference where all these folks gather together uh, and they learn from the best. And one of the best that are teaching them on a topic is yourself. So what knowledge are you hoping to impart? with these pride organizations from coast to coast to coast?
6: Absolutely, especially thinking about traditionally for pride organizations, they're based on the backs of volunteers who don't necessarily have the same power to own spaces, necessarily a big organization or a business or these other uh, different groups. And especially thinking about Uh, queer plus and trans plus folks Uh, there's not always those intentional spots in the business community even when some of those uh, there's more power in, in spending there so a lot of the times you have to be really strategic about how you're making this intentional space and sometimes you don't own the space but you own the moment and thinking about the ways you can come into these spaces that you can't control all the time But take what you can control and make it safe and make it a place where folks can show up as their full selves and really participate in whatever's going on instead of worrying about all that other stuff that that can happen day to day.
0: It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, I think it's like the pink gorilla takeovers that used to happen back in like the 80s and the 90s where queer folks would just en masse show up to a straight bar and it was gay for the day, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and it, there, there is something unbelievably powerful about going from a space that is predominantly, uh, you know, uh, not how you identify to a space where you would predominantly identify with the group. Now, I I phrase that in such a way that folks who are maybe religious can tell the difference between being in their place of worship with everybody who's in the religion Mm -hmm. and those who are not. Um, Women can obviously identify with women's only spaces and not. And likewise, it's the idea of being in the majority and the safety it creates for queer folks. I just like, this is an amazing concept how how has the community reacted to the work that you've been doing?
6: I'm like very supportive. I'm like I'm trying to think of the right words to come out cuz so it makes me really excited to think about too because a lot of these a lot of the times we're going into community centers, we're going into to public businesses or organizations, places where maybe you wouldn't be comfortable stepping that foot in the door before you have that safe connection and to be able to not only give them that intentional space in those places, but even sometimes bridge those relationships so that they can access even more services is huge because community centers do so much in our cities. And sometimes depending on the setup, so so a, a physical aspect of safety I think about a lot is washrooms. Mm. So when we go into places if they don't have gen like uh, all gendered washrooms, we'll set them up. We'll bring our signage that says what's in everything, you know, and show them just how it can be done, and then they use it for the night, and we continue and help them with the education, so we can evolve their space as well. So it's really like a symbiotic relationship with, with everyone.
0: I think that's beautiful because you know we know that anywhere from one in three hundred to one in one hundred, depending on which survey you look at, of um, Canadians are trans identified, and when you're in a city of you know tens and tens of thousands. That's more than a few trans folks who may want to come and use your <laughs> services. And this might shock everyone, but everyone does poop, even the queen. <laughs> with a community with a disproportionate rate of addiction issues and uh, substance abuse, you know, that's not always the best plan. So the spaces that you look at, is that something that you consider when you're you're trying to create these, these temporary gatherings?
6: Yeah, absolutely. So. I have a very uh, interesting journey with Chroma. I've been in my position now for almost two years. Um, we've been around for about three now. So in, in the year before, I, I was working for Chroma. I was actually participating in, in one of their first programs called Creative Connections. So in Creative Connections, they had um, a couple different streams, one for adults and one for, for youth, uh, making these spaces in community settings. Sometimes the adult ones w- would be at a, a brewery or a, a bar um, and learning to to crochet or to make stamps or lots of really cool activities. We did an acting workshop, which was really cool, especially as like a, a trans person. I didn't feel very comfortable growing up, you know, in those kind of spaces. So to get to own that is really cool and experience that side of, of things. But one Uh, kind of comment we we got a lot about that is families wanted to spend time together, you know, and be able to access these resources and build community in a way where it didn't have to feel so separate from each other and people could really learn from each other because, you know, there's lots we can learn from our elders, but lots we can can learn from our youth, too, which I like to tell people, I think they have a very large amount of empathy these days, which is something we can always take to take to heart. Um, but that was the biggest thing is figuring out a way their folks can get together. Cause then when you start thinking about these intentional spaces for queer and trans plus people, the most common one is, is a gay bar. If you're lucky enough to even have that space, but typically that's where it'll start. And even that's so limiting because thinking about addiction and thinking about our youth and thinking about people who just want a spot to get a resource or, or mm-hmm. learn something or those such valuable moments of of connection with folks. So you're like, oh, there are people like me out here and thriving. And if it's only in that kind that bar kind of setting, I think it's just not that it's not important, but I think it cuts off so much that could be happening.
0: When I was in high school, um which is not that long ago, I do have to keep stressing that. But the when I was in high school, it was rural Ontario. And uh, I lived about, you know, 40 minutes from the nearest city, which is Belleville, if anyone's uh, familiar with it. Um, But I had a good friend who was a man in his mid to late 30s and his partner, he was married, um, and they would come and pick me up, drive me to the gay youth club in Belleville, And that's where I built connections with uh, some of the adults that were volunteering there and uh, other, other youth who were there. And it was the once a month opportunity to be queer entirely. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's so unbelievably freeing. And I thank my parents every day for giving me that opportunity and uh, also Rob for, for uh, facilitating as well. But, it, I I cannot stress enough, and I and I'm sure you. I, I mean, I can see it in your face. Like you, you know what I mean. Like that, the the emotional impact, and when I think about the horrific stats around the loneliness crisis, around disproportionate rates of um, depression, anxiety, and the extremes of that that I'm not going to get into. This can really be. Um, An incredible, you know, antidote to that. For those who are listening, what words would you use to encourage them to come and attend uh, some of these events that you're putting on or to organize their own?
6: Absolutely. I, I think the biggest thing is any anxiety or nervousness will be outweighed by the community and the strength that you feel in that and it can be hard to try something new or try a new spot but if you take that moment especially thinking about creating that intentional space yourself within an established space taking on some of that power which helps inform that and being like what can i control here to make sure the community builds and it's it's so so helpful when you feel like you belong and we do and it's about taking back some of those moments, really.
0: Well, I sincerely hope that folks in uh, New Brunswick uh, check you out, Chroma, C-H-R-O-M-A. Uh, and the website is chroma, N-B, all one word, dot C-A. Uh, I really implore folks to go and and, uh, and check out. I've had a wonderful time chatting with you.
6: Right now, the 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 one thing I want to leave folks with is, is feel power within yourself. You know, there's a, there's a lot going on in the world. Things are busy. Things can be scary. Um, but knowing community is around, even when you don't necessarily see it or feel it, and uh, own, own some of that and take the strength in that that you need.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And we'll be back just after this. Uh, uh, well, Welcome back to Kangaroo, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And Matt. I'm Sebastian. Excellent. And uh, <laughs> a little earlier today, we heard, obviously, our interview with Kevin at strokedego at strokedego.ca. And um, then we had uh, a conversation with the executive director of the uh, Centre Town Ottawa BIA. And uh, Mariah was joining us from Cromer, New Brunswick. We also heard Follow the Call by Create and we will be playing out with a new Pet Shop Boys track oh. called Loneliness. I, I didn't Luke even Smith. know this
1: existed. It's uh, it's a
0: great track. You're gonna it's it's a vibe you're gonna enjoy. Uh, it. I look forward to it. Okay. All right, I've been Luke Smith. I've been Sebastian, and thank you for listening.